good to be able to uh, be together once again, and even at the beginning of September when our lives maybe uh, become a little more routine and ordinary, at least for many. Um, and for some of you who have been away on vacation, it's nice to see you back, uh, trusting that uh, the Lord blesses our time this morning. I'm just going to uh, share a little bit about my week in preparing for this message. Uh, usually when I preach, uh, I have about a page and a half in front of me, that'll take up about 30 to 35 minutes. If I go like 45 minutes, it means I've probably done two pages. Uh, by the time that I was writing, done writing this sermon, I had almost four pages. So here's the good news is I got it down to two pages, um, 12 fonts, not Times Roman, but uh, Calvary bold, or not bold, just body. That's just to say it's, uh, I trust it'll be a normal sermon, but the reason why I share that is because I found what I was doing is more def trying to defend the passage, and I nuanced it to death. Uh, so how I wrote the passage wasn't, or how I wrote my message wasn't how it was presented, I believe, in God's Word. In other words, Paul does not defend anything here. Paul celebrates the goodness of marriage. Paul celebrates the created order of God that brings joy and peace uh, into uh, our lives, into relationships. For example, we could, yes, nuance to say, and we, I'll actually say this a little later, uh, we are all equal. Yes, submission and authority are significant themes in Scripture, uh, very important themes in Scripture. It's all over Scripture. Uh, yes, many people reject what is written in, in uh, Ephesians 5, wives and husbands, because of either culture that mocks it or uh, because of the examples that they had growing up. So people actually say, I don't know if I hold on to this because of uh, the example uh, that went before me, a uh, very difficult example. If I am to understand this passage alongside of you, I remember hearing someone speak about the parable of the prodigal son, and he said it could have also been named the parable of a loving father. A father back in those times did not run towards a son. He didn't run, especially towards a son like that. So we could call it the parable of the prodigal son, but probably more aptly we could call it the parable of the loving father. And so when we read a passage like this, we could think that the main theme is headship and submission when, while the passage deals with headship and submission within marriage, I don't think it's the central theme of the passage. If you were to uh, underline um, in your Bible the, the amount of time that Paul talks about Christ and the church, it far outweighs Paul talking about um, about wives and husbands and how they submit to one another. In fact, if you were to try to write this and say, well, how specifically do you, does headship and, and submission work, we might uh, leave more confused. I would understand the theme of this passage is Paul tells the beautiful story of Jesus and the church. If we're going to understand headship and submission, it is going to be because we have understood at a level and grow to understand the unfolding mystery of God, of the love and care uh, and sacrificial uh, nurturing that Jesus has for his body, the church. So Paul tells this beautiful story of Jesus and the church. That becomes our focus, and the, out, um, the outcome of that is marriages then live out this beautiful story of Christ and the church. 
If we just come at this passage and say, tell me how to lead a house and what does submission look like in a marriage, we've missed the point, I believe. Paul tells a beautiful story of Jesus and the church so your marriage as believers can be lived out or can live out this beautiful story of Christ and the church. I think we can say that because in verse 32, as Paul wraps this up, he says, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He says, you may have thought I was talking primarily about this, but I'm talking about this. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a beautiful story, boldly proclaimed, to talk about the beauty of marriage, because as Christ has loved his church, so God has created marriages to be joy-filled, peace-filled, thanksgiving-filled um, illustrations of how Christ has loved the church and how the church loves Christ. If you were with us last week, we began the message by saying, or we ended the message by saying, and the challenge of submitting to one another. We're called to submit to one another. In fact, if we were, um, sometimes when I talk about this passage, uh, I, I will say uh, Ephesians 5 is not Ephesians 1. And you might say, well, that's obvious. Um, my math was obviously my strong point in school. Uh, Ephesians 5 is not Ephesians 1. And what I mean about that is, you have five chapters of Ephesians getting us ready for Ephesians 5. We so often say, well, what does the Bible say about headship and submission and go directly to Ephesians 5? If we're going to understand Ephesians 5, we have to understand Ephesians 1 through 5.21. We need to know the beauty of God in Ephesians 1. His, his abundant salvation the blessings that he poured out upon us, the power of the Holy Spirit, the reign of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins. We're made alive in Christ. We serve the powers of the air. Now we serve Jesus Christ, the good works that he has prepared for us. Ephesians, mid-Ephesians 2 into Ephesians 3, Paul is very concerned about unity. If we think marriages are difficult to unify, imagine unifying Jew and Gentile together. How do Jew and Gentile come together to be one church that glorifies God? And then the at the end of Ephesians 3, this powerful gospel statement that we really understand the gospel, not because of how we live it out, but we really understand the gospel by how much we're loved by Christ. Do you want to know if you understand the gospel? How deeply loved are you by Christ? The heavenly Father ran out to you the prodigal son and daughter, to receive you, to give you new life, to save you, to sacrificially uh, give you his life through his son, Jesus Christ. So many decisions, so many uh, relationships are bogged down because we haven't um, exalted, and we'll see this, exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know Christ, the application of Christ in our marriages. Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 4 begins to talk about how to live this out. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 2. What is the calling that we have received? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How has Christ loved the church? How does the church submit to Christ? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, that answers all sorts of questions about headship and submission. What do we know to be true about headship and submission? Well, we know that it's going to be lived out in humility, with gentleness. 
Any headship that comes across as authoritative and demanding has already lost the, the theme of Ephesians 1 through 3 and Ephesians uh, 4 2, where it talks about humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And then we talk about how uh, the Christian life is lived not selfishly, not greedy, not with harsh words, um, not with impurity, but as peacemakers, um, merciful. Merciful becomes a big theme in relationships. Sometimes people are so intent on being right that they forget mercy. And honestly, sometimes it's better to be merciful than right. Sometimes it's better to be merciful than right. So we have all of this, and then Paul wraps it up like we saw last Sunday, and he says, we need to live our lives carefully. In other words, how do we take Ephesians 1 through 5 and that, the message of the gospel, the message of Christ, and how do we live it carefully? Well, we live it carefully because we're planted in the Word of God to know the will of God so that we're filled by the Spirit of God so that we live lives of thanksgiving. And as we live lives of thanksgiving, we will submit to one another. We will submit to one another. So Paul has brought us to this place where we're going to talk about uh, headship and submission, and then we'll talk about children and parents and slaves and masters next week, Lord willing. All of this is built on Ephesians 1 through 5, uh, Ephesians 5.21. And Paul says, now we submit to one another. How do we submit to one another? Well, we put others' needs before others. It is not our story. If we're going to understand headship and submission, we need to understand Christ and his body. And that is a good summary of Ephesians 1 through 5. That's why the main story is not headship and submission. The main story is Jesus Christ. The main story is how Jesus leads his people. The main story is how the body in turn loves Christ through submission to him. So let's, uh, let's build on that. Uh, we're going to take a look, first of all, at wives submitting to husbands, and then husbands submitting to the wives. And then I, there are so many parts of this I want to nuance, and, but I am going to resist because I want us to see the big picture of this. And then interestingly, verses 32 and 33, I think, are um, incredibly practical. So you may, through all of this, uh, maybe become a little impatient and say, well, how do I do this? What do I do? Like, how do I put this into action? And Paul spends so much time talking about Christ, uh, and then the last two verses are, this is how you put it into action. Uh, this is how we practically live it out. So the first point that we're going to look at this morning is, as we submit to one another, wives submit to husbands as to the Lord. As we submit to one another, wives submit to husbands as to the Lord, verses 22 through 24. Paul will spend the bulk of his time talking to husbands. So he begins with submission. Now, again, here's what we can, a few things we can say about submission. Husband and wife are equal. You go back to Genesis 1, it makes it very clear. God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. So whatever we're saying about submission does not talk about inequality. God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. We also read from this passage, wives, submit to your husbands. This is not all husbands. 
This is not a submission to all men. This is very personal. This is in the context of a loving, caring, nurturing relationship where wives submit to their own husbands. It is a very personal moment. And then we also read, uh, and this is caught in some of the other passages that talk about husbands and wives, that it is voluntary submission. It is less told or commanded in the sense of how it's written, and it is more um, a volunteering uh, to submit to one's husband. Uh, Submission, in other words, is often found in the passive voice in the Greek. We submit to Christ as, uh, or, or we submit to God. We place ourselves voluntarily under God's authority. And in the same way uh, in passages where it talks about submission, uh, in the passive voice, we submit ourselves, our wives submit themselves uh, to their husband. It is uh, a voluntary, uh, willing um, heart uh, that they come before their husbands and they live uh, in submission. Interestingly, it takes all of five English words before Paul starts talking about Jesus. It takes five English words in my version before Paul starts talking about the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands, and then we want to nuance it, we want to soften it, we want to say, could this real, is this more of a cultural thing or whatever it might be? But listen to what Paul does. He grounds it in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. What do we read? We first of all read that submission is as to the Lord. It is not first of all submission to the husband. It is first of all submission to the Lord. We are, wives are to submit as to the Lord. And not only do they submit, not first of all to their husbands, but their submission is first of all found in their relationship to the Lord, but it is also an opportunity to know and um, for the Lord to take uh, this moment in, in that sense to, to encourage them that they not only submit to the Lord, but in what the Lord commands them, the Lord also gives the strength to submit and the wisdom to know how to submit wisely according to the gospel. In other words, everything's grounded in the work of Jesus Christ. Everything is grounded in the Lord. Our submission, or the wife's submission, is an act of love. It is a deep trust and obedience to the Lord. It's not, first of all, to the husband. And that'll become important because it'll say in everything in a moment, and we just... That's one nuance that we'll deal with. So, verse 22, how are wives to submit to their husbands? As to the Lord. And I think what takes place after that is we're saying, well, what is it to submit as to the Lord? And Paul says, for the next verse and a half, let's talk about that. So, he says in verse 23, because the husband is the head of the wife, just as... Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. So right away we say, well, what does it mean for the husband to be head? What does it mean for the husband to take leadership uh, in the marriage relationship? And Paul says, okay, uh, as husbands are head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Again, he zones into the gospel. He zones in on the relationship of Christ and the body, which we read in Ephesians 1 through 5. Christ is the head of the church. The authority is not given directly to the husband, 
but the authority is given to Christ, and as Christ is head over the body of which men also belong to the body, then Christ, uh, or then husbands live um, and serve their wives as head over their wives as Christ has served um, head over the body. Now, we might say, well, what does it mean for Christ to be head over the church? How would he define it? So he's not only head, but what did that look like? And that's where the very uh, final part of verse 23 helps us understand what it is for Christ to be head of the church and also for husbands to be head of their wives. Listen to this small phrase. He is the Savior of the body. He is the Savior of the body. So what is the first thing that Paul, if we're to understand what it is, um, what headship and submission is, what does headship look like? Headship looked like or was shown when Jesus Christ gave up his life, when he became savior of the body. Christ's love for the church was so deep that he would come to earth and that he would live a sinless life to lead God's people to the cross where he would die, be punished for, for, for our sins. He would die. He would be raised again. He would live out his life in a benevolent act of self-sacrificial care at the cost of his own life. He was Savior. He is Savior of the church. Christ lived out his life in a benevolent act of self-sacrificial care at the cost of his own life to give what is best for the church. That is headship and submission. That is the context. That is the air that headship and submission breathes. Christ's self-sacrificing love, nurturing the church, Supporting in truth and love equips each member to use their gifts for his glory so that they glorify God. The husband's self-sacrificing love, nurturing his wife, supported in truth and love, equips um, his wife to use her gifts for his glory, so that, um, we'll see, they become the splendor of God. So that what you see in a marriage is Jesus Christ and him crucified uh, as, as the husband and wife serve Christ together. Um, you, could, you could go to so many places, but I just looked up, uh, you know, how Christ did this. If you just read the last parts of the book of John, you could read the entire, you could read the entire Bible, but you could read the last part of, of John. John chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. How did Jesus sacrifice for his disciples? He washed their feet. John chapter 14, Jesus provides spiritually for his people. John chapter 14, verse 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us we're not his servants. Jesus tells us we're not his servants, but we are his friends, and he comforts his friends. Jesus gifts, in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit and tells his disciples to keep them from stumbling. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. How does Christ love the church? How does Christ self-sacrificially benefit? 
uh, benefit the church at the cost of his own life, just as husbands seek to do to their, for their wives, we seek to wash their feet. We seek to provide spiritually so that they are left in peace. John chapter 15, husbands seek to say, this is my friend, and seek to comfort one another. John chapter 16, the gift of the Holy Spirit to mutually help one another not to stumble as the husband leads in this area. John chapter 17, to pray for his wife. And so as we bring all of this together, as Christ cares so intimately and profoundly for the church, as husbands and wives submit their needs to one another in the most vulnerable of all relationships, as husbands sacrificially, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, lead their wives as friends and co-heirs of Christ, so wives submit to their husbands in everything. Do you see how much time, and we've just skimmed the surface, how much time Paul worked on, first of all, what headship looks like in the context of submission when he says, as Christ is head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now, I'm just going to allow myself one nuance, okay, because what does it mean in everything? Uh, again, you could, I'm just going to say something very brief because I actually think the last two verses help us understand this. Jerome, an early church father, wrote this um, uh, quote. He says, wives are frequently found who are much better than their husbands. They rule over them. They manage the household. They educate the children and maintain discipline of the family while the husbands revel and run with harlots. I leave it to the decision of the readers whether these women ought to rule their husbands or fear them. Okay, does that make sense? In other words, it's not easy. But that's why we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and the blessings of God. And that's why we go back to Ephesians 5, verse 15, that says, pay careful attention then to how you live and how we need to know the will of God by the word of God to be filled by the spirit of God so that we live with thankful lives. We live thankful lives before God. In other words, in everything is nuanced by the context. There are times when husbands willfully step outside uh, the godly leadership, willfully, persistently step outside. Um, and there are times where, um, where submission is uh, to be as to the Lord and not to the husband. Now, again, see, here's the nuance of somebody can say, well, then that just gives a free reign for wives and husbands. But again, that's, that's why this, the main theme isn't all of that. The main theme is if you are focused on Christ and the church and how the church, um, how the church uh, loves Christ and how Christ loves the church, then those aren't the areas that you're going the areas that you're going are, if God has called me to submit to my, my husband, then how in thankfulness with wisdom, um, and we'll see with respect, encourage my husband? And if I am a husband, then how do I, I lead my wife so I don't revel and you know, spend all my time and, and neglect my wife in so many ways? Paul has set the tone and the atmosphere where in everything makes sense. 
It makes sense in the context that it's written. Now, we'll, we'll struggle through it, we'll battle through it, but God will equip marriages so that wives are able to say, I seek to submit to my husband in everything. Okay, point number two, verses 25 through 31. As we submit to one another, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. As we submit to one another, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. What's interesting in this passage, in the Ephesians passage, is Paul writes to wives that husbands will lead. When Paul begins speaking to husbands, he will speak primarily about husbands loving their wives. Paul writes to wives in this passage for husbands to lead. In other words, it comes not so much from their husbands saying, you need to follow. It comes from the Lord. And for husbands, when Paul starts to write to husbands, he starts talking about and emphasizes love. Okay, again, the main character here is Jesus. So let's take a look at verses 25 through 26 first. Husbands, doesn't say lead, doesn't say you're the head of the wife. Um, it's not something so much that's said as, is, you see, like if, if a husband at, you know, has to say, well, I'm the head of this house, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that the expression of headship, the expression of leadership, is what we read about the person of Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how are, what are, how are husbands to lead their wives? Husbands lead their wives by loving their wives. What is the example that's given? Just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Boy, how do you express that, right? How do you express Christ's love for the church? He was selfless. He was sacrificial. He loved the truth. He was filled with grace. He was filled with righteousness. He was filled with um, uh, justice. He was filled with the joy of the Father. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift, husbands. And I'm not just talking husbands, but if we, go, if we talk about single people, this, even, to, even to live out your life in this way as a single person or uh, someone who's going to be married, uh, the Lord gifts you with a wife. The greatest gift husbands or husbands-to-be or even single men can give their wives or a single society and other relationships is to grow in the truth, the wisdom, the holiness, and love of Christ to lead in love with spiritual care so that their wives are cared for as Christ loved the church. Some people will hear that and say, well, I'm not a very mature Christian. I don't really know the Bible. That's in some ways absolutely one of the, you know, we want to get to know our Bibles. But Jesus is talking about as we are in relationship with Christ, our character is changed. We become more Christ-like. We seek to be more selfless, sacrificial, truth-filled, righteous, so that we can love our wives as Christ has loved the church. How did Jesus um, love the church? 
What did, Jesus, what did the love of Jesus look like? And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water. He gave himself up so that they would both grow in holiness, being cleansed by the word. The purpose is this flowing from salvation. A husband leads his wife in the beautiful work of Jesus as he's filled by the Spirit and as he's filled with the person of Jesus Christ so that the relationship can be set apart with the cleansing work of the Word and the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. When a relationship grows in this way, then a relationship grows where there is joy, there is peace, um, there is uh, a rich friendship because we know that when Christ came, he came to give life and life abundant. And so when we are living Christ and when we are growing in Christ, uh, then we seek to lead our husbands into this beautiful work of Christ, being filled by the Spirit so that uh, we are cleansed um, and the relationship looks more and more holy, uh, cleansed, washing of water by the word. Verse 27, why did Jesus love? Why did Jesus love? It builds on verse 26. Verse 27, we read, he did this. Why did he do all of this? He did this to present the church to himself in splendor. Isn't that beautiful? You see... Christianity gets, gets, gets in so much trouble because you say, oh, you're, you're, you believe in monogamy, lifelong monogamy. How boring. You know what Paul does? Paul says it grows more beautiful. You think your wife was beautiful the day you met her? But as, as the Christ-body relationship is worked out in the marriage, and as the wife willingly submits to the loving leadership of her husband, as the husband wisely leads his wife, <coughs> not with the demands and, and authority and all of that bad example lived out for a generation, for some of this generation, but in an Ephesians 1-5 way where we are nurturing one another, where we are caring for one another. Ephesians 4 talks about Christ. Um, the, we wanna, he wants to, us to use our gifts for the Lord. So even in the husband-wife relationship, the, the wife using her gifts to build up the husband, the husband using his gifts um, to build up the wife, and then building up together uh, in holiness, being cleansed by the Word and by the Holy Spirit, grounded in the Word, men grounded in the Word so that they're leading their wives this way, wives coming alongside their husbands and supporting their husbands and saying, this is good, this is rich, then what begins to happen in the relationship, and like what Christ does to us, Christ doesn't hide us in corners, Christ says, here's my people, Look how splendor, splendorous, splendiferic, splendorous they are. Look how beautiful they are. This is my bride. And you look at the bride and you think, oh, we're, we're messy. And you see, that's the beauty of, I think, what Paul is doing here. He's saying, sometimes I look at my relationship and I say, well, it's not all that splendorous. It's not, it, it, it's not all that beautiful. Like we wrestle, it's messy. It's just messy sometimes. Marriages, relationship, church, it's just messy sometimes. And, and Paul, Christ gives us this, this moment and says, this is what you may say, well, I, I don't see results. 
I mean, I'm seeking to love my wife this way. I'm seeking to, um, to show her the love of Christ. And Paul says, just keep on going. Why? Because Christ did the, this to present the church to, him, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Is it not true that um, as, as God leads people in marriages and you just become more settled in the marriage. See, in a marriage, you're going to see the worst of a person. But what happens when you're, 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 it's the relationship of Christ and the body that becomes the focus? Actually, what happens is God uses the other person as an instrument of sanctification in our relationship. And you know, you sometimes see pictures of, uh, you know, 95-year-old um, couples holding hands and the world goes, oh, that's so beautiful. And it is beautiful. But what do they see? They don't see wrinkle. They don't see spot. They see the beauty of Christ in the other person. And it's more beautiful. Your wife is, has more splendor because of who she is in Christ. Because Christ has been your focus. Because you have sought to love Christ and you come before God as a man of God and say, I, and by the way, there's all sorts of pressure out there on men, sometimes from the church, that's just too heavy to carry. Young men need time to mature. And so how do we not give them the end, but how do we walk with them through the difficult times, through the messy times? And, and how do we say to young men as they begin their relationship that as you love your wife as Christ has loved the church and as you seek to lead the relationship in Christ-like way, Christ will nurture you and give you all that you stand of need, in need to do that and it is a beautiful path. It is a beautiful place to go. We are a broken, messy people, but we grow together. We begin, we, you know, it's true, right? You don't see the spot and the wrinkles like you used to. That's not only because, um, because uh, we grow in holiness, but because we grow in mercy and we grow in grace with one another. Sometimes the older you get, the, the things that were so important back then, you just find ways to love and to nurture and care for one another. Verses 28 through 29, in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Now again, he's, he's coming back. This is like he's coming back full circle. In the same way husbands are able to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. As a husband, we love our wives as we love our own bodies. Why? Because we read, it says um, at the end, he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, what does that mean? Listen to verse uh, 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of one body. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see what happened there? Is why do, why do husbands love their wives? Because they are one flesh with their husband. So intimate 
is the marriage that it is set apart from all other relationships, that the husband and wife become one flesh, they become one body. And that's why Paul is able to say in verse 28, in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. When you are loving your wife, you are loving yourself because you are one flesh. So that's why we're to love our wives as we love our bodies. If I, as I, if I um, love myself, I am by extension, extension loving my wife. So the decisions, the leadership, the whatever is going on in the relationship is happening in the sense where I am not looking at myself and saying, how does this impact me? I am looking at the body. I am looking at the one flesh. So the decisions that I make now become one flesh decision where um, as I love my body, I love my wife at the same time. So the question becomes, if I'm loving my body, am I also loving my wife as the body? And that brings us back to verse 23, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, um, he is the savior of the body. So you come back to the church as the body, husband and wife as the body. So after he quotes Genesis chapter 2, he goes on to verse 29, the mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, this is where we hopefully wrap it up um, together. Uh, you might be saying at this point, well, um, oh, I just, I just want to make one more point before we move on to uh, verses 32 and 33. Listen to how Paul, you say, well, okay, so if I'm to love my body, how do I love my body? Listen to the two things that Paul says. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. One body, one flesh. I love myself, but I, I'm no longer one. I'm two become one. And I love uh, if I'm to love my body, that extension of love is always extended to my wife. And so, Paul, so how do we do that? Verse 29, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but, and here's the two ways, provides and cares for. No one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So you say, well, what does it mean to love myself? By loving my wife one body, ourselves, do I provide for my wife? Do I seek to provide the best as a man for my wife? Whatever it might be. Sometimes when you, you talk to people, I mean, there's, you know, that's why Paul talks earlier about greed. Sometimes greed is you spend all the money and rack up credit card. The other is sometimes you never spend any money, so you never have what you need. So you're always living in that tension. Do I seek to provide for my family? And not just physically, but um, in, in all sorts of other ways. And then do I seek to care for? So to provide is to care for uh, physical um, in other ways, but to care for is this emotional warmth. Am I, am I there emotionally for my wife? You know, a, a bit of confession, I, I mean, I hope it's okay, but, um, uh, you know, I, sometimes when we have these conversations, I just like to solve a problem. 
and I go into um, problem-solving mode. And uh, (laughs) it's funny because those times I think I'm really good at it. I'm glad you asked me. I got this. Um, And you learn that I didn't actually need to solve it. I just needed to listen. It was that emotional connection. And for the young men out there, that's taken me about 27 years to learn. So, you know, if, if you haven't arrived, it's okay. It's okay. That's, and, okay, so, um, okay, let's wrap this up. This is a beautiful ending. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, okay? Um, this is, these, we're going to talk about three practical areas of wisdom just quickly as we wrap this up. This is, you're saying at this point, first of all, um, well, how do I do this? How do I know what headship and submission looks like? We know it's grounded in the gospel story, but how do I know what it looks like? Number one, it's a great mystery. That's encouraging, right? And by mystery, we know that it's not like a Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys mystery, although there's elements of that, but it's this great unfolding. It's this great unfolding. How will you best spend your time after today? It will be by daily presenting yourself in the word to grow in what it is to be loved by Christ and to love Christ. See, these discussions often begin with you need to do this, this, and this. And usually those discussions are the person who's speaking, you need to be more like them. We need to be more like Christ. Pour yourself into the word, and the the mystery unfolds. The mystery unfolds. There's something about Christ that you read that you begin to put into your relationship that he didn't come to lord it over others. He came to serve. He came to meet us when we're at the most messy. So your wife is messy that day. Christ met us at our most messy times. And then over years, we shine. The relationship shines the light of Christ. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I think that's the second. So be patient. The second is, but I am talking about Christ and the church. If you're confused about headship, don't start talking about your relationship first. Start talking about Christ and the church first. Does that make sense? We say, well, we need to figure this problem out. No, we actually need to figure out Christ and the church. I need to know how Christ loved the church in this time. I need to be grounded in Christ so that when I enter that, relation, that conversation, it is Christ and the church that it's the forefront. It's not me. It's not my wishes. It's not my pride. It's not my greed. It's not my agenda. It's how do I love my wife as Christ has loved the church. So I don't think Paul is just saying, but I am talking about Christ and the church as kind of like a wrap-up. I think he's saying, but he's saying, everything that I've said, if you want to know about headship, if you want to know about submission, so we talked about in everything, if you want to know about submission, talk about Christ and the church. 
As you talk about Christ in the church, as you get to know Christ in the church, as you get to know the relationship that Christ has with you, with your wife, with the church, then, um, then we begin the, by the word and the Holy Spirit. We can live wisely, as we saw in verses 15 through 21, which then leads um, the relationship into a place of thankfulness. And then the last um, practical, it's a mystery. Talk about Christ in the church. Talk about Christ in the church among uh, husband and wife and friendship groups in the church, wherever it might be. And then verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is, and I just love that because we covered, this was an iceberg this morning. We covered 10% of a, of a 100% passage, right? We saw 10% of it. So we're going, oh, thank you, Paul. Let, he says, to sum up. How would you sum this passage up, right? What would you say about this passage? And here's Paul for husband. He says, love your wives. Love, love his wife as himself. The body united himself. If this has been overwhelming, love your wife. Love your wife. If Paul's going to sum this up, he's going to say, if you want one thing to focus on, if you want to grow in one area of your relationship, love your wife. Wife? Paul says, if you want one area to grow the place to start, respect your husband. I love the word respect because I think the word respect is active encouragement. You could see all sorts of things that need to be done in your husband's life. You can see all sorts of other husbands who do way th better or things way better than your husband does. But what does respect do? It's what love does because love seeks to, um, as the relationship grows, show the splendor of your wife. Respect is this act of encouragement to be able to look at what's good in your husband and say, I respect that and I am going to encourage that in your life. And as that is encouraged in your life uh, through the respect uh, and the encouragement encouragement that I give you, the husband begins to grow and begin to be nurtured by his wife so that um, the church also begins to say, look at the splendor of Christ. Christ, look at the splendor of the church. Church, look at the splendor of Christ. And wives, as they respect their husbands and build up their husbands, not, and, and supporting them in ways that, you know, are their weakness, but encouraging them in the ways that, are, that, that will strengthen them so that they will uh, publicly, actively encourage one another. So how do we practically um, live out headship and submission? It's a great mystery. There's an unfolding. Give room to grow with one another. Talk about Christ in the church. You say, well, okay, I'm going to have a conversation about us getting angry at one another. Before that, let's talk about how Christ loved the church. And then to sum it all up, do you want a place to begin? Husbands, love your wife as yourself. Do you want that cookie first? You give it to your wife as yourself. Wives, respect your husbands. Actively encourage their strengths so they're built up in the Lord. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Pray for wives that they might submit to the loving care of their husbands. Pray for husbands that they may lead in self-sacrificial, nurturing, providing love for their wives. Pray for those in broken relationships where 
this could be discouraging. Pray that if there is to be a beginning place, it would be to talk about Christ in the church and to talk about love and respect. And Father, we pray in all of these things, the person of Christ might shine in all our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.